You, what do you remind me of? Like a like a Alpine grandfather, <laughs> like in a in a Hans Christian Andersen. <laughs> it's more the look on your face than it is what's coming out of your mouth. Hello, you, hello, 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 hello. You seem hello. like you should have one of those giant like ram's horns. Oh yeah, you know what I'm talking about. They're like huge and oh yeah. Oh. It's very sound of musicy. Maybe it's your your sweater that you're wearing. It's cold outside. You're wearing a sweater. You got a beard. I I'm feeling well. Welcome to the Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. My name is Father Peter Mosset. My- uh, Scott's name is Scott. <laughs> Are you gonna inter- Thank you. Yeah, I am Scott. <laughs> I was listening to 99% Invisible the other day. You listen to other podcasts I other than ours? I listen. On repeat every I day? Repeat. I kind of back into podcasts. I actually listened to another one, um, which I recommend you all to go listen to. Um, uh, Father Anger and Father... Uh, His oh, name is Father Anger? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, gosh. Like what are they? Anger? Yeah, yeah. Like Anger. Like, I'm mad. I would be Arr. scared to go to confession to Father Anger. Yeah, yeah. It's right, a, wouldn't you a little bit? Oh, no, angry. Father Ang- Father it's Harrison and Father- Father Angry? Father Anthony Angry. At, um, so the the podcast is called what? Clerically Speaking. My okay. brother turned me on to it. Okay, um, tell me more. I like these guys. They're, they're a couple of Canadians. One's a Canadian, one's a guy from the States, but one of them visited um, here and hung out with the sisters, uh, um, the uh, missionaries of charity sisters, and gave them a retreat. And he was cool. very moved. But yeah, I kind of liked it. It feels like hanging out with like a couple of cool priests. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, I enjoyed it. So, um, that, what's it called? Clerically speaking. Yeah, but I also listened to ninety percent, nine percent invisible. Okay. And uh, and he's like, my name is Roman Mars. I'd like to be very, very deep. He has like the wow. deepest thing in the world. And so when I talk and I'm high pitched, I'm like, hi guys, how are you doing? I feel like <laughs> Alvin and the Chipmunks compared to Roman Mars. I'm just saying that's all I'm saying. That, you're welcome to say it. Okay. Can so, I give a shout out? Yeah. Or are you, what are you doing? Are I want to shout out another person too. Oh, but shout, you, but you, shout. You, you shout. I'm just going to give a shout out to, uh, so I was uh, very, very, for a few hours, I was in Midland, Texas Midland. on Saturday morning Oh. speaking at the first ever young adult conference uh, in the Diocese of San An- San- San Angelo, Texas. And it was, it was awesome. It was called To the Heights. Uh, it was this group of um, just parishioners and everyday folks who were like, hey, we want to put something together for young adults. And they put together this conference. And it was, it was a huge honor to be there and a huge blessing. So shout out to anybody who was at the To the Heights conference this weekend, especially to the, um, yeah, the leadership, Mary and Ben. I, I, so I was in Midland, Odessa, Texas, right? Uh-huh. Which is the home of Friday Night Lights. Remember the movie? Yes. And I landed on a Friday night. And Were I saw the lights. lights. Yes. No, no it was didn't. like the big crosstown rivalry. And the guy who picked me up from the airport was actually on the football team that Fred Ant Lights is based on. And he was actually in the movie as an extra. Like there's a couple shots of the games and he's actually playing in them, Dude, which you... is awesome. That was just cool. So on Friday night in a pickup truck with Ben, who was in Friday Night Lights in Odessa, Texas. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. You know what you just did? I don't know. No, you I took a tall drink of America. I see, I see what you did, dude. That's like that, it was cool, dude. That's like America. It really was. So shout out to America, dude. This is this one's for America. Mm. Well, um, I have a, a shout to uh, Colin Parrish. Mm. He, uh, we were just talking, and he just was uh, saying that uh, he is enjoying. Um, I'm oh, sorry, Father Colin Parrish, um, and he, Father Parrish, Father Parrish. He should get together with Father Angry. <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody angry will perish. <laughs> oh, or that, or that. Then I mean, you're kind of your destined. parents name you father. Then 
then, you, then you really know your destiny. <laughs> yeah. My my professor for jewelry in college was CC Wire. No. Yes, absolutely, man. Wow. I mean, you can't. There you go. Yeah, and I make bags because my last name is like bag maker or something. I must don't it. Even, yeah, must it. Must it. Bag so, maker. So, hmm. so there's a, a, a musette bag, which is a very familiar piece of equipment for those who were in World War II. Um, so if you're all of in, you listening, yeah, if you were in World War Two in you. your musset bag, you know that you, <laughs> a, I'm really stoked that you're listening to a podcast, and b, we're connected by your bag for personal effects. We are in the 32nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. Our first reading is the First Kings 17, 10 to 16. You were just jumping. All right, our responsorial psalm is Psalm 146, verse seven, then eight through nine, and nine through ten. And then our second reading is Hebrews. I need coffee. Nine really twenty four to twenty eight. Are you just saying it? No, I mean, I mean you it. You do need coffee? Yeah, but I have I have mass. Oh, you do have mass. Plus, you have a lower threshold than, than, than you I do. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, <laughs> then, yeah, but that's, you, that's a different matter. If you gave it up for Lent, then you'd feel like me afterwards. I actually had a priest who forbid me to give it up for Lent once. He's like, Good you can't j- make everyone else do your penance. Good job, priest. Yeah, so anyway, uh, our gospel is coming from Mark chapter 12, verses 38 through 44. And now it's time to express ourselves. About to podcast, we're gonna talk about your truths, talk about your heart. We're gonna make the connections from Boulder, Colorado. That should have been the opening. That should have been our intro. Yeah, I didn't even know. (laughs) We're like six minutes late, (laughs) (laughs) dude. Um, Zarephath, can you tell me where in the sing heck is Zarephath? Yes, of course, I can tell you where Zarephath is. Yeah, no, I, I don't know off the top of my head. I will admit that I don't know off the top of my head where Zarephath Dude, is. Let me it's s- not far from Mount Carmel, which is is it's near present day Haifa. It's got to be somewhere in that neck of the woods, right? I've been to Haifa. Have you? Actually, we had. I mean, that's where Carmel from is. Haifa. Did we? When I was in high Who's school, we. My family. Oh, not me. My I family. We had two girls who came from Haifa. Really? Stayed at our house. Yeah. About what? It, oh, um. It is a coastal town located between Tyre and Sidon in the territory ruled by Jezebel's father, Ethbaal. That's amazing. So it's along the Mediterranean coast in between Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon are kind of toward the northern, um, right before the, the Mediterranean curves to the west, right? That's sort of where Tyre and Sidon are. So it's, so it's south of there, smack in the middle. Dude, there you go. I just uh, stumbled across that. So that's where we are. But um, to put this reading from, th- this is actually a great little story about Elijah, um, that it's important to put in a little bit of context. Okay. Conte- so, contextualize me. So Elijah, we all know about Elijah, right? Elijah is these, this sort of mysterious figure who we don't know much about where he comes from. Again, I mentioned he comes from this place called Tishba, which is really all we know about him. He is um, of what we kind of think of as this. Uh, he's one of the desert prophets of the Old Testament. He's up in the northern kingdom. Okay. Right? He um, is sort of a... a, a a precursor to John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist says that, or Jesus says John the Baptist is a kind of Elijah. I mean, there's a million things we could say about Elijah, but he is this guy who is called to be a prophet by God to basically speak truth to the king of the northern kingdom of Israel who has fallen into profound idolatry and sinfulness. The whole northern kingdom is a disaster. Remember, we talked about the kingdom of Israel divides in half, not quite half, but there's a civil war. It's divided northern kingdom. Elijah's up in the north, and this is, again, it's a culture that is so far gone. Years ago, they abandoned worship at the actual temple of Yahweh. They founded their own temples. They worship their own gods. They have their own liturgical system and priests and liturgical calendar. They have created sort of an anti-Israel in a certain Mm. sense. That's, that's, That's 
it's a weird way to put that. Right. But liturgically speaking, they've created a false version of of the faith. Um, so things are a mess. And Elijah is called by God to go speak to who is probably understood to be one of the worst kings that a really bad kingdom had. It was a guy <laughs> named Ahab. And a lot of people haven't heard of Ahab, but we've all heard of his wife. Do you remember Ahab's wife? Uh, Jezebel. Jezebel, right? Which So she's super famous, even to the to the extent that we um, we, we use that. It's become um, like an idiom, right? That woman's a real Jezebel, like somebody who's really mean or, or sinful or whatever. There's lots of things. Manipulative. That, manipulative. That's the word I couldn't quite get to. So this is who Elijah is, and he's called by God to go and basically speak against this king and say, you need to turn back to God. And he pronounces this curse on the kingdom because of the idolatry and the sinfulness and all this stuff. He said that Israel is going to have three years without rain. There's going to be a drought, which um, I, I, I wish, man, isn't, I, I'd love to talk a, more about Isn't this. that a pop song, A Year Without Rain? It could be. Yeah. Written by Elijah and the prophets. <laughs> <laughs> on Cozy 101. But Elijah, um, I, that made me lose my train of thought. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he pronounces this curse. The main God, I'm, I'm trying to, my mind is, is sifting through what is the important information for us to know about this, but it is kind of important because the context to this moment is really interesting. So he predicted three years without rain, which is actually one of the covenant curses back in Deuteronomy for unfaithfulness. There's going to be a lack of rain, but it's particularly significant because the place that Elijah will later on become associated with Mount Carmel We've heard of the Carmelites, right? Yeah. The Carmelites get their whole spirituality from the story of Elijah. That's why they're called Carmelites. You know, so Benedictines name themselves after St. Benedict and Franciscans after Francis. But the Carmelites name themselves really after Elijah, who dwelt on Mount Carmel and had the spirituality. But Mount Carmel at the time was the seed. It was understood to be sort of the home base of the main god up in the northern kingdom that they were worshiping, which was a guy called Baal. Baal, which is, Baal gets used a lot in the Old Testament, but he's this really crazy God who was believed to control fertility and crops and plant life and most particularly the weather and the rains. And so when Mo, when Elijah shows up and pronounces this three years without rain as a punishment for their idolatry and sinfulness, it's kind of like the 10 plagues that Moses did back in Egypt. Remember the Exodus story? It's, it's a calling out of false gods to show them to be false. Mm. Right. The 10 plagues back in Egypt were accusations and basically punishments against these things that were not God. The Nile River turned to blood. The Nile was considered a God. Right. Frogs died. Frogs were considered gods. Cattle were considered gods. All of these things were basically being put to death because they're not God. And in the same way, Elijah is pronouncing three years without rain, which is stripping Baal, the rain God, of all of his power. So it's this really interesting moment. So he says this thing uh-huh. is going to happen which is a show that, no, your God is not real. My God is the only God. And so he does this thing, pronounces this this punishment. And then from there, God leads him out into the wilderness. So he has this really huge moment of public calling out of sin, calling out the false gods. And then God will lead him out into the wilderness um, where he's going to go into this time of of (laughs) literal and spiritual dryness. Dryness literally because there's no rain anymore, which he has to deal with the punishment as well. Right. And he goes out into the wilderness and there's this, this amazing story of Elijah being led out there where he is kind of stripped of all of his worldly comforts. And it's dry and there's no water. It says ravens come and feed him, which I've always been a little struck by that passage. Some of you know the story of Elijah. He was fed by the ravens, which in a part of it was, was God's providence to him, even though, you know, he's, he's in this time of darkness and dryness. It was, it was his time in Baltimore. 
Ah, I yeah, see what you yeah, did yeah, there. Yeah, I see what's fed by the ravens. Do you think about that for a second? If you're in the wilderness, can you imagine what sort of food a raven might bring you? Baby birding. <laughs> or, or, road, what... or roadkill. Or like the, the mouse it found under a rock. I mean, I just, there's, there's a darkness to what Elijah is kind of going through, right? Oh, there's a bird finding whatever birds find on the side of the road and feeding it to you. Which, I don't know, sometimes we read the Bible in this kind of overly miraculous, like, and, you know, we, we think of, like, a Disney cartoon where, like, the little birds are coming and putting Snow White's dress on her. No, there's a raven who, by the way, is considered unclean in Judaism. And a raven, a raven, right? I mean, what do you, we just had Halloween, right? And I always, whenever I think of ravens, I think of Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe, right? The raven poem. Just darkness, scariness, forebodingness. Ravens are the ones that, like, swarm when there's dead animals or something. It's carrion. What? Carrion fowl. <laughs> yeah, carry I mean, your fell. Yeah, they're like that. Uh, anyway, I'm just. I'm, <laughs> it's kind of raw, man. There's a reason that I'm I'm dwelling on this. This you is know, not without reason. I was thinking about how like how like the what you're willing to eat changes by the amount of food available to you. I was That's thinking fair. about. I was thinking about how like how we throw away so much of mm. the uh, of the world's food because it's not perfect looking especially yeah. in the United States absolutely and we we don't like when it, I I found some garlic in my cupboard and I was like this garlic is not that good looking but I'm going to eat it anyway good for you yeah I was wondering where that story was going cuz I was going to accuse you and judge you yeah and then but I was like I was like I, and I just was like meditating on that but I but so when you say like here's some ravens bringing you horrible food you're just I don't like, know what they're bringing but yeah, I don't think it's <laughs> you're imagining you know I mean? it's that and and this is so I actually think that they're just spitting into his mouth worms. They are. Well, they're spitting something into his mouth. Which, you know, we we've probably heard of the spirituality of the dark night of the soul and the dark night of the senses. This is actually where that comes from though. And Elijah is believed to be going through what we call the dark night of the senses in the sense that things are hard and he's done this thing that got, he's drawn closer to God than really anybody else around. And yet he's being thrust into this kind of darkness and dryness, which is what, this is what the spiritual life, this is what happens to us sometimes. Sometimes the closest we get to God, the closer we get to God, the harder things feel, which is what Elijah is sort of embodying. So it's in that context, which I think is important that we come to our reading from this week. So he's been in the wilderness. There's no rain. It's dry. The water's dried up. He's being vomited food into his mouth by a bird. And he goes into this village called Zarephath. And he, I mean, can you imagine Elijah wandering in from the wilderness, having been fed by birds? And he stumbles into this village and he's like, oh my gosh, thank goodness. Humanity again. Right. He says, so in those days, Elijah the prophet went to Zarephath and he arrived at the entrance to the city. A widow was gathering sticks there and he called out to her, hey, can you please bring me a small cupful of water to drink? Actually, um, does it say it? Let's read. There, there's a line that I really love. Please bring me a small cupful of water to drink. And she left to get it and he called out after. Also bring me along a bit of bread. And she answered, as the Lord lives, I've got nothing left. In the Hebrew and in the Greek translation, and actually my English translation too, <laughs> This is such a small point, but this is the little things that are great in life, right? Uh-huh. He actually says, bring me a bit of food in your hand, which I've always wondered about that, but I think it's because he's been having bird beaks vomit food into his mouth for the last <laughs> however many months. He's like, can you bring it in your hand of a human being instead of a bird? Which I just think is funny. So, you know, um, what's going to happen in the story is going to be really powerful and kind of painful, 
But to paint the picture of where Elijah's coming from is actually really important. I mean, he's coming from absolute desolation, from really hard circumstances. And he's like, I am desperate for a cup of water and I'm desperate for some actual food from a human being. Right. By your dick. Yeah. In your hand. In your Just hand. Like, right. Isn't that kind of funny? It's really funny. Like, that's the line. I love that. I love that you saw that because <laughs> it, it really does make sense. It's like, man, I've been... This is yeah. it really gives evidence of this of the baby birding <laughs> kind of. So yeah, uh, so she left to get it. He called out, "Bring me a, a morsel of bread, a, bre- a bit of a bit of bread, a bit of bread." And she answered, <laughs> "A bit of bread." As the Lord your God lives, which I, that's a telling line, because she's not in Israel. She's not even the northern kingdom of Israel. We're outside of the bonds of Israel. Mm. She is probably pagan. She's of some other religion, but she recognizes somehow, and I don't know how. But she recognizes Yahweh in Elijah. She sees that as the Lord, your God. She doesn't. She doesn't have ownership of that yet. She does. It's not a part of her life. Mm-hmm. But there's a recognition of what's true about Elijah in her insight there, which is it's it's again it's subtle, but it's interesting. Right. As the Lord, your God lives. I've got nothing baked, and there's only a handful of flour in my jar and just a little oil in my jug. Just now, and this is where it's really depressing. I was just collecting some sticks to go in and prepare something for myself and my son, and then we're going to eat it and we're going to go die. I know it's like because that's it's where we are so right now. Heavy. <laughs> I know you're coming in from the desert, getting vomited from birds, but we're just getting some sticks to bake the last of our food so we can go in our corner and die. We're, that's what we're up to right now. I know, it's and you're just like, like, oh my gosh! And then his response: This is <laughs> this is where it gets real weird. Right? Elijah said to her, "Don't be afraid. Go and do as you propose. But before you do that, before you make your little morsel of bread to die with, can you bring me a little bit?" Just bring me a little bit of just whatever. Crust. <laughs> just, just a little crust. Just, just give, me, you got. Give, me, give me the pizza bone. I know you're going to die from whatever you have, but just bring a little cake to me. And then you can go and prepare your last bit of food and go die with your son. Which, I mean, the gall to actually say that, right? The guts that it would actually take, which I, I, I think, I believe that he's being led by God because of what's about to happen. Because he, he actually but, is, I don't know if, it, this is the question, does he know what's about to happen or does he just have tremendous faith? He knows something's faith? about to happen. Right. I don't know if he knows what, but right. he's got to know something because he's not just self. He's not just like, I'm really hungry, lady. I've been fed by birds the last couple of months. <laughs> I mean, I think he knows, because he says, do not be afraid. And yeah. so, but the, but the gall to actually say, bring me some first is amazing to me that he actually has the guts to say that. And then not only that, what does she do? Heck with you. Are you kidding me? I don't have anything for you, some rando out of the desert. I'm going to go eat my last food and die. Leave me alone. Go back to wherever you came from. No. Well, well that's what she says. Well, that's where he okay. says, he says the jar isn't going to go empty and the jug right. isn't going to run dry until the Lord actually shows himself victor over this Baal. Mm, yes. When he sends rain yes, to show it, that he is the rain god. Right. And then she left and did as Elijah had said. Yeah. She had faith. Which is actually harder on her than it is on him. Big time. Big time. And again, what what the scriptures are sort of showing is here is Elijah who is convinced, and it's going to become explicit later on in the text, that he's like, I am alone. There is nobody left in Israel who has any faith. There's no, I mean, everyone's gone off the deep end. The king is crazy. They're worshiping these gods. Everyone wants to kill me. Everybody hates me. Birds are vomiting food into my mouth. Everything is horrible. And I am the only person left with any sense of the truth. And then he leaves Israel and he finds this nowheresville of Zarephath with this widow who's about to die. And there he founds profound faith, not even the likes of which exist in Israel. 
which and he finds it with her. Which is interesting because later on Jesus uses this absolutely a, a, as, does. An, as an accusatory tone because Big time. here's somebody who's just random on the coast and she hooks she she has faith in a God that she does not yet know. Absolutely right. Which is really powerful to actually consider. Like, and she gets that she doesn't know him. She gets that his God is significant. As the Lord your God lives. Right. I'm about I, it, it's it's not just the rec, it's not just recognizing that she doesn't know this God yet. It's the recognition that she understands that there is a God of right. Elijah mm. that she does not know, and yet she will trust in him regardless for no really earthly reason, mm. except maybe that she's come to the point of, I've got nothing to lose. Right. And there's something spiritually kind of profound about that moment that you're like, you know what? I can give everything because I've got nothing left. And so I will give it mm. because I've got nothing left to lose. I'm at the bottom. I am at the end. I've got nothing. So God, here I am. Take what you will. Do what you will. And then we have the Franciscans. And thus you have the Franciscans. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. like when Jesus says, go sell everything that you have and then come follow me. There's something to that where you're mm. just like, I can just let it all go and I can just follow and I can be free. There's, It's, yeah. it's the same reason why like young men oftentimes will read Guns and Ammo and Soldier of Fortune. Where are you going? Where are you going here? <laughs> is is that there's something attractive of just being light and fast, man? Where you're just like right, you're like right. you're like no, dude, I'm ready for mission. What like send Yo, me in, send me in, send coach, me in, yep. coach. Like like what, when I I I mean you know I, I considered uh, becoming a CFR, which is a, a they're Franciscans, um, and I stayed with the crew in the Bronx for a little bit, considering in, in Harlem actually, considering you know is this what God is calling me to? And I remember talking to this friar. And it was great. And I, I, maybe I've told this story before, but he was like, my life is great. He had the New York accent. He was from Long Island. He was like, my life is great. He's like, I get up in the morning and I look in my closet. I'm like, do I wear the gray cassock or the gray cassock? Because I got one. And he's like, I don't have a wallet. I don't have car keys. I don't have anything. So I go out into the neighborhood and somebody could mug me. Somebody could beat me up. I've got nothing that they can take. There is nothing that they can take from me. So I am totally free. And I can go about and I can move and I can do my ministry because I've got no attachment because there's nothing they can take from me. So I have everything to give. And I was just, I was so compelled by that of how powerful and freeing that is. Right. Which I've got a lot to lose and I have a family and, you know, children and everything. So I have responsibilities, but there is this kind of spiritual insight of how do we still live that way? And you used to have a job. (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh. oh. Uh, well, this, is, this is the last podcast <laughs> better make it a good one yeah good job uh, good job on this one and thus we get to psalm 146 which is if you've just if you've considered what we've literally just said what these readings have told us where where elijah's coming from where this woman is the psalm response is praise the lord my soul I've got nothing. I am about to die, and I'm about to give the last bit of anything I have with any hope. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Because the Lord, he he keeps faith forever. Mm. He secures justice for the oppressed. He gives food to, to the hungry. And me, when I'm hungry, spiritually, physically, emotionally, he will give me food. He sets captives free. He gives sight to the blind. He, he lifts up those who are bowed down. When I am feeling like this widow and I've got nothing left and I'm ready to curl up in a corner and be done, he will feed me and he will lift me up. So praise the Lord, my soul. And when I'm coming in from the desert feeling vomited on by birds, 
I can praise the Lord because I know that he will give me sustenance Mm -hmm. and he will. And it's funny as the story of Elijah goes on, then he'll go back to the king and he'll have this big showdown with the priests of Baal and they'll perform these big miracles on Mount Carmel and they'll do this whole thing. And then he'll be thrust out into the wilderness again where it's literally the Lord. He's like, I'm going to give you food for now. I'm not going to show you what's coming yet. You're my messenger. You're doing these great things. He's performing miracles and he feels empty and God gives him food to take the next step. And then he gives him food to take the next step. But it's never this like, oh, you've been faithful. Here's all the riches. Oh, you've been faithful. You performed these miracles. Now everything's going to be great. Now you're going to receive the health and wealth. Now everything's going to be awesome from here on out. It's never that. It's like, all right, now you get a morsel of bread to take the next step. And now you get a morsel of bread to take the next step. Because I'm not going to give it. You need enough food for the journey so that you can keep moving. But there's, there's something kind of beautiful about that and how it plays out in the life of Elijah. Because he's forced to trust that God's going to take care of me at every step. It's not just if I take this many steps, then God's going to take care of it and I don't have to trust anymore. I don't have to worry about it because I'll be secure. No, he's going to ask me to trust in every single step that I take. Which, which is so... like. So existentially true for all of us. Mm. So he stands as a witness for what it actually looks like to live. Yeah. Um, whereas oftentimes we want to sanitize that neediness. Yeah. We we actually huh. in our lives we don't want to actually consider ourselves that mm. dependent from moment to moment. Right. Um, we want to say that we are the masters of our own destinies. Um, and, and that's actually why, like, the, the service at food banks, the service of the poor, mm-hmm. who literally are just hand to mouth, like, for the yeah. for real. Like, um, some of them just, a lot of them don't even have IDs. They don't even know how to get their birth certificates. It's complicated mm-hmm. to even find, like, bureaucratic recogni- recognition to find work and to do these things. And, and that's why I'm so proud of, like, we have a food mm-hmm. bank, Harvest to Hope, yeah. that, that literally it's just like, are you hungry? We will serve you. You don't need to be from here Absolutely. or going. You, you can just be. It's a little grocery store. You, can, you can just come and take what you need. Pass through. Yeah. And and like and, and you actually get choice. That's actually one of the beautiful parts of what we do, too. It's not like we're just going to give yeah. you what you think because it's like, no. Here's it, what we have decided we will give you. Right. Which, yeah. which you can actually act like a normal human being and feel like you can go to a store and get food to make for your family for dinner. For, yeah, yeah. And, and some stuff to take with you back to your little camp because yeah. really the ravens, the bears, they don't, they don't treat you the same way. They don't spit food in your mouth. Usually they make you food. I'm just kidding. That our, uh, our, make you food. I'm yeah, yeah. <laughs> our bears around here don't do that. They don't, they don't, they're not too aggressive. They're not going to eat you. Well, the trash cans. In they'll the alley they'll in eat the our trash church, cans. Yeah. They like the, our trash cans. But It's because it's a college town. But I love the fact that uh, like this spirituality of saying like we have been called into partly with the mission of God to provide for those who are at this place yeah. where they're so low they don't know where the next meal is going to be. And who is it that's called to do that? Well, the answer is everybody. Because this widow seems like the last person who could ever care for somebody else right. in need. Right. But yet she's precisely the one who God will use to care for his messenger. Right. And that's where you're like, well, maybe I'll, you know, I'll, I'll serve at the food bank or I'll donate a little money or I'll do whatever when I'm in this position. Right. And when I have a little bit more, when I'm a little more comfortable, when I'm a little more secure, right. that's when I can then do these things. And what the widow is showing us, what she is the icon of is, no, God's going to call you to give everything. Right. Which is, well, we'll get to the gospel in a minute. 
which is oftentimes how people um, think about having kids too. They're like, mm. "Ooh, I will only have kids when, when I'm I can, ready. When I'm ready. When I'm like this, you ain't never gonna be ready, right? Heads up. By the way, <laughs> FYI, FYI, which uh, brings us to coffee. It does bring us to Hebrews or tea. You can you can brew tea, I suppose. Oh yeah, you could brew beer. You can brew beer, and, and the Egyptians, Egyptians brewed beer. So I bet you the Hebrews learned how to brew beer from the Egyptians. Do you think the Hebrews had beer? I think they had beer. All right. I think they had wine too, but I think they definitely they, had wine. They preferred wine to beer, is my sense. I think they had beer. You don't think they had beer? No, I don't know that for sure. I don't know. I don't even know, man. I don't know. We're, I think it would show up somewhere, the Talmud or something. Anyway, <laughs> the malted beverage. The, okay. All right. So that's off topic. Let's just be honest. A little okay? bit. So we're marching through. I, I'm. Maybe you can help me connect the dots here. I mean, I, I get Hebrews. I get what it's doing. But I, you, this is where you're masterful at finding the way, the place for it within the rest of the schema. So we've been sort of marching through this portion of Hebrews where the author is, is he's speaking to, again, this group of probably Jewish converts to Judaism, or to, to Christianity, rather, who are not under, well, I mean, I think you do, I mean, I think historically speaking, I think the context of Hebrews is... These people who they came from Judaism, they are now Christians, which is not, nobody's seeing it as this firm break or this firm separation. We're simply Jews who believe our Messiah has come. Mm. But our Messiah gives some pretty specific and strict instructions to us, such as forgive your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, do not fight in this war that the rest of your kinspeople are all preparing to fight against the Romans in. And uh, I bet you're dealing with a lot of people who are awfully confused by the abstract nature of this new Christianity, this new way of Jesus, who is apparently our new temple, but it's not a temple with bricks or stones. It's him. And he's also the sacrifice, but but he's a guy, but he's kind of a lamb too or something. And he's also the priest. But what? How does that work? And I mean, you got, you know, we have 2000 years of hindsight of theology and it's still confusing enough. And I mean, try to try to be the first ones to try to figure out, wait, what does this mean again? What is our liturgy? How is he high priest and victim and temple and altar and all of those things? And what, what? And so Hebrews is trying to show that, yeah, you may be, you may be ready to throw in the towel. Right. You may be looking at this faith that you've maybe sacrificed a lot for. Right. I mean, Elijah has given a lot to be a witness in the world. And what Elijah is feeling is I have sacrificed everything to be a witness and everyone rejects me. No one cares. And not only do they not care, they want to kill me for it. And I bet it's a different circumstance, but I wonder if a lot of those Hebrew Christians are facing a lot of pretty real persecution by their family, their friends, their clo- their spouses, saying, what are you doing? We're getting ready to fight for the temple. We're getting ready to fight with the high priests and the Sanhedrin and our people. And you're over there saying, forgive the persecutors? Pray for the Romans? What are you talking about? And you're worshiping some some priest that's up in heaven now someplace at some other temple? You don't make any sense. And I guarantee that people would be would be tempted. I'm just going to curl up in a corner and be done with this because I can't handle this anymore. I can't handle this pressure. I don't even understand my faith entirely. And now everybody hates me for it. I mean, I think this is a real experience of what Elijah is, is feeling. And so this is the moment where, 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 where the author of Hebrews is like, all right, Here's what it is. And this is, this is, I actually believe, the climax of the entire book where it says, no, Christ, he didn't enter a sanctuary made by hands, but he entered the true sanctuary. So way back in Exodus, do you remember when Moses was given the instructions 
to build the tabernacle, which would be the physical place where God dwelt. Yes. Of Do you remember how he was given those instructions? Vision of heaven, the throne room of God. Yeah. I and mean, he's like, this is like Ezekiel. This is Revelations. This is this is uh, Moses. This is us. Of like, we're making it. There, there's an imitation of something that exists elsewhere. Yeah. This is not the real thing. This is a model of the real thing. That's what's clear in Moses, to Moses. And so what Hebrews is saying is, remember that? Remember that Moses was shown something else. This temple that's on the hill, it's great and it's wonderful and it served God's purpose, but it's a model of something that's real. So if it's we a make facsimile. architectural models of the tabernacle, the temple, and a church, are we doing meta models? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's a really good... I'm trying, I was trying, trying to take a step further, but I can't do it. <laughs> but but this is this is the climax of everything that the letter, this is the real one. It's in heaven itself. And now he appears before God on our behalf as high priest. Not that he may offer himself repeatedly like the high priest does every year into the sanctuary with blood that's not his own, with blood of cows and cattle and bulls and goats. If that were so, he'd have to suffer repeatedly from the foundation of the world. But now once for all, and that's kind of the key line of the whole liturgy for us, once for all, Jesus suffered once for all, and he has appeared at the end of the ages to take away sin by his sacrifice, not of, not of goats or bulls or anything else. Just as the appointed, it's appointed that human beings die once, and after this judgment, so also Christ offered once to take away the sins of many, he'll appear again, not to take away sin, but to bring salvation to those who eagerly await him. This is the moment it's like, so if we've been describing what it means that Jesus is our high priest, how he's better than the Levitical priests, he's better than the earthly high priests, because he is fully God who understands um, what God wants of us, but he's also fully us who, who associates with our sufferings and our weakness and everything else. So he knows what to offer on our behalf. He knows how to intercede for us. And this is the moment that the author's like, so how does he do it? Well, he went into the real temple once for all with himself, not goats, not lambs, not bulls, himself. And he suffered once and he gave himself once for all in totality for every single human being. This is what Elijah could never see. This was the truth that what Elijah was preaching that he could not see the fruition of. That there is one God who will offer himself as sacrifice for all of humanity, including widows in Zarephath and people up in Galilee and people in all of the continents and nations of the world once for all. This is the word that Elijah is actually proclaiming that he can't even dream of how it's going to come to fruition later on. I actually want I actually want to take this one step. Remember how I'm talking about a model of a model is a meta model? A model of a model is a meta model. Yeah. Yeah. What I just said before. However, however the no, math works out. Um, <laughs> the math. The, the, what happens is that is that how does the widow at Zarephath actually join her faith to Elijah? Because Elijah is the one who says God is going to be, he's going to battle and he's going to show his dominance over this reality. Yep. He's going to win the victory. He's going to do all these things. And so the widow has to actually trust Elijah. Mm. And so in a certain sense, what you're talking about is the same pattern for the Hebrews. Mm. They're saying, are you going to trust that Jesus is the one who is God and man who offered himself for actually a transformation so that we can actually have life? And how does the widow do it? Through she, bread. Through bread. How does Jesus do it? Through bread. Yes. That's transformed. Right. right? Is that what you're saying? Is that what yes. You're, and which oil. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. Oil. It's the sacramentals. 
they're present even in the widow of Zerah. It's it's a funny thing because Elijah, after the scene, he's going to go on, you know, go to task with all the priests of Baal and do this huge miracle of there's fire that'll come down from heaven. I mean, it'll be this huge show that will end with no one having faith. It will end with everyone wants to kill Elijah. Nobody cares, and everybody still thinks he's a loser. <laughs> the giant, huge show, fire from heaven, massive miracle in front of everybody does not do it. What does it is the tiny little faith of this woman who is at the end of everything, who gives everything, who is then the model for the success of Elijah's ministry. Mm. This is where the fruit comes. It's not the huge overblown, you know, altered temple, fire from heaven, miracles that he's going to perform. Those are real. That's real. But where God speaks is in the smallness of the widow of Zarephath through her bread. She finds God in her kitchen, which I always kind of love that image, right? She finds God in her pantry. She's like, oh, I see it. I get it. This is beautiful. All right, man, I talk about going to it, which brings us into uh, another poor woman mm-hmm. who in Mark, we A have, widow, right? Does it say she's a widow? Yeah, it is. Yeah, she's another widow who is held up as this profound example of faith. Do you know why? Because she gives her whole bios. Yeah. Isn't that great? It's it's like it, this is the thing is that her whole livelihood, her whole bios, her life. It's not just livelihood; it's actually deeper than that. It's, it's her whole biology. I mean, that's literally what it says. She gives. Well, we should we should get people there. We're just kind of throwing it out. Bion, bion. I thought it was bios. B i bion. Beta iota omega. 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 What's the n? Uh, there is Greek. no n. Oh, the, well, uh, yes, new, new, yeah, new, new, bion. Yeah, means of subsistence. So Jesus is making a juxtaposition, though, with her. He's he's holding her up. Yet another widow is being held up as an example. So it, it, here at the beginning, it says, beware, Jesus says, beware of the scribes who go around in their long robes. They accept greetings in the marketplaces, seats of honor in synagogues. He talks. Um, yeah, it's a, it's funny, actually, and I, I don't. I don't have the Greek in front of me, but it says he he sat down opposite the treasury. and the, So he's at the temple, right? And there's the treasury. And he observed how the crowd put money into the treasury. And many rich people put in large sums. And I forget if there's something in the text or I've just, I've just read commentary on this. But what was sort of popular to do was to put your huge coins in the treasury in such a way that they'd make a really loud noise. And they'd clang really loud that's so that why everybody have, could see. That's why we have um, pads, pads on the bottom of the baskets. <laughs> so nobody hears? Yeah. My $1 bill. My <laughs> Your child's $1 bill. My child's I, $1 bill. I know bill. that you use their piggy banks to give to the church. They are good about they. They're like they Dude, they know to to give a portion. I was super moved. There was a there was a, a family outside of the church, um, and they were looking for like rent money or something after mass. And this little girl went and got and she got a dollar and she went over and gave it to them. And I was oh, like, I was like, you're just like, you're, and she just did it. Didn't even like make mm. a big stink or a noise about it. And she's just <laughs> like a big noise. But that's the, that's what Jesus is condemning, right? He's like, when we want to make the big noise, whether it be. You know, like, oh, look at what I did. Right. He's like, yeah, that's not. And then he juxtaposes it. And he says, amen, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the other contributors to the treasury, for they contributed out of the surplus of their wealth. But she, from her poverty, has contributed all she had, her whole livelihood, her whole bion, right? Her bios, her biology. It's, uh, yeah, that's just her a, life yeah, that's, is what it's it just, means. It's, she's a, there's just a declination. She gave it. everything is what right. it means. The widow's might is what this story is sometimes called. There's different variations in the gospel. Which is super interesting because we actually have a, we have a juxtaposition. Are you going to go there? 
I mean, we might as well go there. I mean, I don't have any time left because I have to go say mass. But... It's such a great juxtaposition, though. It's one of my favorite in all of the Gospels. I know. And that's why it's like, oh, it's so worthy. It's... Do it, man. You start. Okay. So Mark does this thing where he tells this story, and then about a chapter or so later, maybe yep. a chapter and a half, he tells another story of another woman who gives her whole self. It's the story of right before Jesus goes to the cross, it's immediately before the passion begins, that woman who comes in the house and pours the alabaster, alabaster jar, jar of perfumed oil of perfumed oil over um, his head, right? Feet. Is it his feet? Head, no, she breaks it over his head. Over in his Mark. head, right? Yeah, in Mark's gospel. I always think that that's like, whoa, <laughs> like, hey, stinky. <laughs> <laughs> which, which, it's it's suggested that it's Judas. I think one of the other gospels says it's Judas. Who's like, well, what is she doing? And it points out that this thing that she dumped over Jesus's head was the equivalent of, of I think it was three hundred days wage. Yeah. Which that's almost a year. So if you think of three hundred days wage for a you know a worker, if you translate that into modern terms, whatever she dumped on Jesus's head was the equivalent of about thirty thousand dollars. Just to put that in like. Oh my God. Cause you know, the, the other disciples who are like, Oh my gosh, we could have used that on the poor. We could have used that in other ways. We're like, Oh, what hypocrites. And it's Jesus. But when you realize like, no, that was the 30 grand that she literally just dumped on his head. You're like, Oh my gosh. And it, it's unclear exactly why this woman has what she has. It suggests some suggest that she's a prostitute. I actually am convinced that it's her dowry. That's the only thing that, you know, somebody of, of this sort of nature in this culture might have something of that kind of value, which meant if she just poured her family's dowry on Jesus, she gave him her entire future and all of her hope and everything that she hoped for, for marriage, for family. She poured what her bios, her whole life onto Jesus. And the thing that's funny is here in, um, in our reading this week, this woman who puts the coins in the temple, she gave everything to the temple. She poured herself out in that temple treasury. And in the very next chapter, Jesus says that temple is going to be destroyed and not one stone will be left upon another. Which tells you how much he said. He's like, he's like, you should only give a little bit to, the <laughs> to that one. <laughs> just, just give some Which, pennies. You know, Let's do some. Other, no, I'm just, that's a joke. It's, it's, no, but it's kind of true. It's kind of, it's kind of true. I, but I but just, then the other one. Sorry. We got to just gotta slip this in and then it's all yours. That's why I'm not talking. But the other one, the other woman who pours the alabaster jar on his head, who gives everything to Jesus, she gives everything to another temple who in the next chapter will also be destroyed. He right. will be crucified. Two women, two widows give everything to two different temples, both of which will be destroyed, but only one temple will come back. Only one temple will be rebuilt. Which is Jesus, so which so, so this cool. is this is so cool because what what we see is that with Elijah, we have a model of a model. Okay. Then in Jesus we have the reality. Then we mm. have the, the when we have the widow today, mm. who's giving to a model of the model. Yes. And then yes. we then as Hebrews, once for all, we no longer have the mm. model. We have the reality. Holy mackerel! And so so like so Ooh. in a certain sense, there's we're trying to deal today mm. with. Um, 
now that the, that that reality has taken place once for all, we no longer are invested in models, but in the reality itself. And that's what makes the Christian life so powerful and profound yes. is that is that Jesus Christ is found in the poor and that now all of a sudden the widows now become this demonstration of who Christ identifies with. He's this blessing of the poor in now. spirit. Now everything's mm. flipped on its head. We don't need something that mm. it's it, no longer do we need a, an Elijah to show us what mm. the model of of the reality is it's immediately accessible to us in faith because Jesus once for all has entered into the sanctuary and showed us what the, what the reality is. And so the moral then is to feel total freedom to pour out our bios to the reality, right? Because we're free. And we go back to Elijah's words. Don't be afraid to pour yourself out. Yes. So don't be afraid. Yeah. Even when there's no rain, even when there ain't no rain. The Selena Gomez song. That was a, that was the year without rain was the Selena Gomez song, which I'm not well sure played. if it's a good song or not, yeah. but I just know the name of it. Well, there we go. I um so gosh. for all you 11-year-old girls. Um y'all, we're going to be doing Giving Tuesday. Um Yes. And after the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, right? Tuesday after Thanksgiving, we're going to be doing a big thing live on the Facebooks. The twenty, the Luke twenty one challenge, we're calling it. Luke twenty one. Luke twenty one is the gospel reading for that day. We'll talk about that when we get there. We're going to be doing a live podcast from Drogo's Coffee Shop, like we've done in the last year. We're going to be trying to raise twenty one thousand dollars for this ministry. Luke twenty one challenge day, the Tuesday after Thanksgiving, Giving Tuesday. Be there. Don't be square. Give your whole bios. Give your whole bios. It's going to be awesome. We love you. We love you. See you later. Bye. Those. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org A-I-C-T. You can find the Lanky Guys at lankyguys.org, and you can send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.